As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of pseudo archaeology. Hello, and welcome to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 103. Tonight, we deal with the Olmec stone heads. Are they proof of ancient Africans in Central America thousands of years ago? Of course not. So, why the Olmec stone heads for today? Well, it's because I keep seeing it come up. And man, you guys, this is an old school pseudo-archaeology classic, right? I think a lot of you have already heard this one, where the Olmec colossal heads, which are found in Central America, in modern-day Mexico, are secretly proof that Africans sailed across from Africa and made it to Central America back in, oh, 500 B.C. or 1000 B.C. or just pick whatever B.C. because it's all fake. What data are they relying on? Well, if you look at the stone heads, they have big lips. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These lips are not small. They are full size full lips but do only african people have big lips um no all kinds of different cultures throughout the world have big lips and small lips and in between lips including well ancient olmec populations could have rather large lips in investigating this lip gate I've come across the fact that people who say this are simply just full of it. And I think you guys know that, you know, there's there's no data on this, right? There are no artifacts from Africa that have ever been found in Central America that date to anything like this time, right? It's just an absolute fallacy. And there's not much more, not much more to say about that one, but. I will not leave you in the lurch, dear listeners. Let's have a little fun. First, I think we should start with, yes, yes, friends. 
another one of my stories. And I know, I know you're like, Kinkella man, if I hear you say, so there I was in Belize one more time, I'm going to turn off this podcast and never come back. And I understand. And I promise that I won't say that. So there I was. On my way back from Belize. That's right. On our way back from Belize a couple times, we drove all the way through Mexico and then into the United States and finally back home. And this trip would take about a week. Now, I've talked about aspects of this trip before. If you guys remember the episode where I talked about visiting the thing in Arizona, that was during one of the years where I was driving down to Belize. But on our way back, we would often visit museums and this kind of thing, anthropological, archaeological sites, right? This, this sort of thing. And one year, I want to say it was 1997, because I know it makes all the difference. Lisa and I, Lisa Lucero, who I work with in Belize, we were driving back and we decided to kind of do an Olmec thing. So we stopped at the Olmec Museum in Via Hermosa. Now, the Olmec world is in what's called the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. And what an isthmus is, is it's a skinny part of a landmass. And so that's it's the skinny part of southern Mexico. If you look on a map, you can see the Yucatan Peninsula, right? The land of the Maya. Just to the left of it, that's the Isthmus of Tehuantepec, that skinny part. And the Olmec world is on the Atlantic side of that Isthmus. So they are west of the Maya world. And today, one of the major cities there is called Via Hermosa. And Lisa and I went to the museum there and saw several of these real Olmec heads. These Olmec colossal heads. And you guys, they are extremely impressive. And I, I just remember the size of them is, of course, the, one of the first things you see, you know, before you get all archaeological. Your first reaction is, whoa, those are big. Right. And by big, a bigger one would be maybe six feet tall or this kind of thing. But just when I say six feet tall, I think you guys are probably like, eh. What? Six feet tall. I got plenty of things that are six feet tall, you know, but it has to also do with just the mass of stone, right? This is, yeah, it's six feet tall, but it's six feet wide. And, you know, it's just a large, large carving of just pure stone, right? And it, they're just really impressive to to look at and to kind of experience. There are some smaller ones, if you want to say, quote, unquote, small, you know, four and a half feet tall or something like that would be pretty small for these guys. But I remember that experience and just thinking it was it was really, really amazing. We also drove by the most famous Olmec site called La Venta, which is just off of one of the main freeways that we were traveling along. We did not stop at La Venta, and I'll, I'll tell you guys more about why that is later. But we did drive by. I took a quick photo, literally from the road. You know how this goes. You're, you're driving along at, you know, 80 miles an hour, and you stick your arm out the window and hope for the best. And I took like five, but one of them did come out. So you can see the 
pyramid from Laventa kind of looming in the far, far background. More on that later. But I did experience the Olmec heads again in the summer of 2006 when my wife and I went to Mexico City and we went to the Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City, which is an amazing place. They have everything, right? That's where stuff from the Maya area, the Aztec area, the Olmec area, it all goes there, right? So not only were we able to enjoy artifacts from these other cultures, they had a handful of Olmec heads there as well. Now, I know people are curious about like how many Olmec heads are there. There are 17. And it's funny when I think about it, I've seen a decent percentage of them right between the museum in Via Hermosa and the National Museum in Mexico City. You know, I've seen I don't know how many is that six or seven or eight. I don't know. But I've seen a decent number of these guys. And it's really cool when you're able to see several of them. They're all different. Right. These huge stone heads are obviously either specific deities or specific people. I really think they look like specific people, these huge stone heads. Right. Because each face is a is a specific face unto a specific person. Right. And they all also have kind of a helmet on that they're wearing as as well. They're all they all have a similar show to them. Right. You can tell that even though these are all different people, the idea is going for the same thing. Like maybe these are all rulers and they're showing rulership of the time. They may also be as ball players playing the ball game. Right. They have a helmet on to get ready for the ball game. Or these could also be warriors. This could be a warrior headdress. Or why not a combination? You know, rulers may also show themselves as warriors or ball players. These are all cool things and rulers want to look cool. You know, how many cultures can you think of where the ruler is shown in like a warrior garb? Now, we as archaeologists are not 100% sure on any of those, but we are using data and facts to make our guesses, right? We know for sure of uh, kings and warriors and ball players in other Mesoamerican cultures like the Maya or the Aztec, all of which are directly related to the Olmec and the Olmec world. For people who are doing the whole, hey, the lips look big thing, that has nothing to do with any data or facts, right? It's just silly. Uh, I wish I had more jokes on that one, but I just don't. <laughs> this is this old school uh, Olmec heads as African is straight out of like the Eric Von Dyneken stuff. But man, this one still lives on. Why can't we just kill this one off? When we come back, Professor Andrew Kinkella attempts to kill this off once and for all. Hello, and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 103, The Olmec Stone Heads. And I thought right now we talk a little about the background of the Olmec culture, right? The reality 
of who the Olmec were, where did they live, and what do they mean in terms of the greater Mesoamerican world? Notice I say greater Mesoamerican world. And that's really important because Mesoamerica is an umbrella term for all the cultures that you'll find throughout southern Mexico, into Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, El Salvador, and onward, right? Mesoamerica, Middle America. So, so many of these cultures are really related to each other. The Maya, the Aztec, the Toltec, and the Olmec. And there's others too. I'm just giving you some of the the most well-known names. These are all interrelated cultures. They all kind of spring up and fall apart at different times throughout a really deep history, but they're all interrelated. They all have a very similar pantheon of gods that they believe in. The names are often the same. The corn god is central in so much of this rain. The idea of rain falling from the sky is so central to all these cultures in Mesoamerica. And of course, rain is related to corn. When you look at all these, the Olmec are often referred to as the mother culture. And I think that's a fair assessment. They're kind of the ones that come first. They're the ones where you see these things for the first time. You see a corn god. You see kind of a rain god. You see this focus on corn. Corn as life. Corn as people. So this Mesoamerican mother culture, dates-wise, oh, I'd say from about 1400 to 400 BC. And that's, that's pretty early. That's pretty early for Central America. I know if you're used to Egypt or something and the old kingdom starts at, what is it, 2681 BC or something like that. Yes, the Egypt culture is, is quite, quite ancient. But for the New World in Mesoamerica, this is, this is old, you know, 1400 to 400 BC. And in this time frame, in this area of the Isthmus of Tehuantepec on the Atlantic coast, you get these firsts, you know, the, the first large hundred foot tall pyramid in, I think it's in the new world. Don't directly quote me on that, but I think, I think the pyramid at Laventa might be the first one. If not, it is early, early, early. That, that just there, that monumental uh, architecture, monumental architecture is an amazing thing that, that, comes here and remember whether whether it's it's Olmec heads as African or Maya pyramids being built by Egyptians whatever remember that the fact that the Olmec built a pyramid doesn't mean they had to have someone else show them how to do it there is a thing called independent invention which is very common across the world meaning that if one culture figures something out, it's possible that another culture will figure out the exact same thing at a completely different time and place. They don't need to have a connection. And that's actually proven as you look at the structure of the pyramids themselves. If you happen to compare New World pyramids like the Olmec 
to Egypt or something like that. The construction is totally different. Yes, they're triangular when you look at them. But barring that, the architecture is completely, completely different. So not only do they have that, this is the first time you see written language come up. The Olmec had written language now in terms of translating it. Olmec hieroglyphics are really rare and really difficult. It's not like the later Maya. For the Maya, we have all kinds of stuff. You know, we're doing we're doing really quite well in terms of translating Maya hieroglyphics. This early Olmec stuff is very difficult because it may not have been quite standardized yet, meaning that you know different areas had different hieroglyphics that they would use, you know, for, for the same thing. So that is an, an extremely difficult yet interesting area of research, you know, um, Olmec hieroglyphics, so rare too to find that kind of stuff. And of course, when you have stuff like monumental architecture, pyramids, and written language, hieroglyphics, that plus some kings and queens, like you see in the Olmec heads, you basically have a very complex state level society, right? Really, really impressive. And so early to give you an idea on the dates. So the Olmec from 1400 to 400 BC for the Maya, the early part of the pre-classic is sort of equal to that. But the Maya, when you think of big pyramids and stuff in the Maya world, that stuff doesn't start to get going until a tick later than this. I would say, you know, around when this Olmec movement is sort of winding down around 400 BC, that's when the Maya are really starting to take off. And a lot of the big pyramids in the Maya world, or the big cities, I should say, when you think of them like Tikal or Caracol, these very famous Palenque, those are all largely classic period sites, which they're going to do a lot of building around 500, 600, 700 AD, right? So it's much late. It's a thousand years later, you know, when a lot of those large Maya cities that you know kind of come to fruition. The Olmec are long gone by that point. And then for you guys who are curious, the Aztec, the Aztec are very late. Okay, the Aztec are doing their thing in the 1400s, 1500s, right? Right before contact. And they are in central Mexico. So Mexico City is built, literally built on the remains of Tenochtitlan, which is the Aztec capital and and kind of the largest final flourish of this Mesoamerican culture that goes back thousands of years. So isn't it amazing, you know, that we have the Olmec from oh, a thousand BC or so, and then onward to the Maya in the early centuries AD, and then onward to the Aztec in the you know, 1200s, 13s, 1400s AD. And you have a bunch of other cultures too, but they're all doing the corn thing. They're all having the rain thing. They all have the Popol Vuh or versions of it where that's the, the creation mythology. And you see this umbrella culture, which is just, an amazing dynamic aspect of the ancient world of Central America. So 
with that, aren't you just bummed when you hear this dumbass stuff about, oh, the lips on the sculpture are big, so it must be African. Oh, man. You know, it just takes the air out of my balloon. You know what I'm saying? It does. Back to the fun with the Olmec. So the Olmec really have two ancient cities that, that, are, that are well known. The Olmec world, again, they're, they're first. They're the big first flourish of this culture. The Maya have, you know, dozens and dozens of cities like this. But for the Olmec, there are two. There's San Lorenzo and Leventa. San Lorenzo is earlier about 1400 to 1000 BC or so. And then Leventa comes later, 1000 to about 500 BC or so. San Lorenzo is not that big if you compare it to a you know, big Maya city or something. It's not. It's, it's just lesser. You know, it doesn't have huge pyramids or anything like that. It does have structures. It is an organized central city, but it's small, you know. And there are, that's where actually most of the stone heads are found. Of the 17, 10 of them are from San Lorenzo. Isn't that cool? This is kind of an earlier aspect of things, right? You have these, these large stone heads being constructed at, at San Lorenzo around, around 1000 BC. So these stone heads are around 3000 years old. It's pretty amazing. And then Laventa, which is larger than San Lorenzo, there are four stone heads at Laventa. Why are there 10 at the earlier place and only four at the newer, bigger place? I don't know. You know, we can talk about how maybe for the rulers as time passed, they didn't need the stone heads that much. There are several stone heads that are mutilated, like they have holes in them that were done in antiquity. This is not recent stuff. So there might have been you know, uprisings by the people who just didn't want to take it anymore. Who's to say? But it's really interesting to think about these really, really old things. I, I think I'm showing my interest because I never deal with this. I'm always sitting there with the ancient Maya. This stuff, when I'm looking at my broken potsherds, they're all from like, you know, 700 AD. Whenever I talk about stuff from Central America that's from 1000 BC, I'm like, wow, that's really, really amazing. So and Leventa, although it only has four colossal heads, uh, it is the place that has the quote unquote great pyramid. It is 100 feet tall. It is made out of earth. So it is basically just a, a bunch of dirt that's that's piled up in, in the shape of a pyramid. It is very impressive as you as you drive by and try and take photos like I did. Why didn't Lisa and I stop at Laventa that year? Because Laventa and the area around it is covered with oil wells. Welcome to the modern era, my friends. It's just, it's really sad. You can see the oil pumps. You know how they kind of go up and down. You see, the, you see the mechanical metal oil, the drilling equipment, you know, just sort of going up and down, up and down. A bunch of those right across the site because little did the Olmec know, they built one of the most important, earliest cities in the New World on top of oil reserves. So it's, it's depressing to see that the, the hundred foot tall pyramid is still there. And there's not just that there's a plaza, there's other buildings that they built, 
that's a site where I really hope more research is done in the next decade. You know, I really hope they get back there and really start working because it, it's one of the most amazing, you know, early sites in, in the new world. Now the Olmec do have other sites. And if you've been keeping up with me, listeners, if you've been doing the math, 10 colossal heads at San Lorenzo and four at La Venta is 14. You're like, hey, Kinkella, where's the final three? And my answer is around. <laughs> there, there are a couple other sites. Of course, uh, the Olmec as a culture don't just have two small cities that they are a part of. There's a bunch of other sites, but area wise, it's just not as big as the Maya area, you know, and these other sites are are smaller. But the others have been found in in different places as the Olmec. That that flourish of the Olmec world kind of slows down around 400 B.C. You, you'll you see city states kind of rising up in southern Guatemala. We call this Izapa. Izapa kind of provides a connection between the Olmec and then the Maya, which are really going to take the ball that the Olmec started and run with it for the next thousand years. So just an amazing culture. I can't recommend enough that you guys see the Olmec Stoneheads in person at some point. If you ever possibly can take a trip to Mexico city, take a trip to the national museum. You really will have your little archeological moment where you can look at them and you will be like, wow. You know, they, especially if you're in a room with them where there are not too many people, you know what I mean? If you can get just a little quiet moment with the colossal heads of the Olmec and just look at them, you know, it's like, wow, human beings make some pretty incredible stuff. When we come back, what to do about the Olmec colossal heads. Welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 103, the Olmec Stone Heads. And we are at the final point, listeners, what to do about this story, about the story that Africans may have come across, as evidenced by the large lips of the Olmec Colossal Heads. This one is easy. We just need to be honest and be like, that never happened. We got to stop telling that stupid story that, let's face it, racist story about, oh, proof that Africans were here 3000 years ago because these stone structures, these these stone carvings of huge heads happen to have larger lips. It's just it's just the most idiotic, lame story. And don't you find that? Sometimes with these with these old school loser pseudo archaeology stories, they're just not very fun. They're just dumb, you know, and I feel bad because I didn't have that many jokes this time, you know, because I'm like, this is so stupid that I can't I can't riff on this. It's like just so dumb. <laughs> so so, you know, how do how do how do we prove that these aren't African. Okay, I'll do it here. Uh, let me go first. Well, 
besides the looking at an artistic choice of giving larger lips, and we could go on about how Olmec culture and Olmec sculpture, they tend to make a larger mouth and they have kind of almond shaped eyes. There's artistic stereotypes that the ancient Olmec used, just like we use today. So not only did they do that, but barring the Olmec stone heads, their, their artistic look, nothing has ever been found in that area that's from Africa. Nothing, nothing ever. Not a single piece of bone, not a single piece of stone, not a single piece of shell, and not a single pot. Not a sliver of a thing. Nothing. Have I said nothing's been found? As an archaeologist, that's what I want. I want data. I don't give a damn about your feelings. I don't care if you really think that Africans could have come over. Because look at a map. Isn't Africa kind of close to Central America? Yeah, but you have no data. Nothing. The data can be thin. But at least I want some. You have nothing. (laughs) So stop wasting my time. (laughs) Right? This whole thing is just built on a fantasy based on a preconceived racist notion of how something looks. Right? So much of pseudo-archaeology does this. Just this preconceived look. Like a, a hill that's just a hill but is vaguely pyramid shaped. Again, it happens every so often geologically. It's like, oh, that must be a pyramid. No, it's not. It's a hill shaped like a pyramid. It happens one time out of every 500, you know? It's just a hill, my friends. And I am so tired of hearing like, you know, archaeologists in their narrow-minded world, they just, they just don't look. They just don't look for this because they're so close-minded. Yes, we do. Okay? You don't think that we would see this kind of stuff immediately after the thousands, the literally thousands and thousands of hours that we sit in the lab, sorting the pot sherds, sorting the bone fragments, sorting the stone tools. You don't think... That if one of those, one, once was different, and it would be obvious because, hey, if there's one thing archaeologists know, it's potsherds, you know, it's stone tool bits, it's little bits of bone. We know that stuff stone cold. Hey, I said I had no jokes. I had one stone cold. I'll be here all week or at least for the next four minutes. We know this stuff, you guys. It would be so easy to see one broken piece of pottery that didn't fit with the rest. One stone tool from a stone tool type that was not native, that was not local. We would see that instantaneously. I would love to find it. We're all like, that's the thing. It's like, not only do we look, we actively look for different things. Your eye actually starts looking for different things because you get so bored of seeing the same stuff all the time. So something new would just show itself immediately. We're not going to miss it, you know? And then (laughs) if we found it, we're not going to keep it a secret. Okay. 
it, don't worry. We're, we're all more than self-centered enough to show the world as soon as we find something like this. It's not like, hey, guys, I, uh, I, I go to the secret archaeology cabal, you know, and I'm like, hey, guys, I, uh, I found a piece of stone from, from Africa, but I found it at an Olmec site. And they're like, quick, quick, hide it. Hide it. I got a place over here. It's in, it's in the basement. Right. Do you think academics are going to do that? Are they going to do that? Or are they so worried about their career that they're going to publish all this stuff immediately? I'll leave that one for you to decide. You know what I'm saying? There, there is no evidence. None. Stop this lame story. And you're like, but, but Africa, Africa is so close. Yeah, it's pretty close. But you know what's a little closer than Africa? The local Olmec who carved the stuff. They're like right there. They are very close. <sighs> so, you know, I think maybe our note is that we just need to teach this a little more in like K through 12. The story of the Olmec is fascinating. You know, and dare I say it, kind of mysterious. You know, it is. They're kind of the first ones that set in place this Mesoamerican culture trajectory that continues for thousands of years. And it is amazing how many things stay similar, you know, that you can see these obvious connections between something Olmec from 1000 BC and something Maya from 700 AD, 1700 years later. How many connections can you make from stuff from 300 AD? That's 1700 years ago. You know, it, it's, it's amazing how successful this set of ideas were, this culture was. Really, really amazing. So, you know, I do hope that we teach this a little more in K through 12. I do hope there are more, you know, specials on the Science Channel and on this Discovery Channel, just on the Olmec. You know, if they did just the Olmec and broke it down, it would be really, really cool. And with that, I bring this episode to a close because... I need enough time to hide all those stones from Africa. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.